Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership with funding provided by ACES Aware. Together, we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy healthier and more fulfilling life. Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. Hi, everybody. This is Dr. B, and I'm with my co-host facilitator, Seth Creekmore. Today, we're going to be talking about three nagers, four nados, and fivers, and sort of the developmental stages of, you know, how do you understand this period of life, and how do we parent them for resilience and for our own sanity as well as theirs? If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you just want to know more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. All right, let's get started. Well, good afternoon, Dr. B. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing well. Thank you. Doing well. Yes. Nice. Any any crazy weekend plans? Um, crazy weekend plans. No. No, I wish I no. could say yes. <laughs> it's beautiful blue sky though, so it stopped oh, raining. Awesome. So probably a few beautiful walks maybe, but oh, other than that. That's great. Yeah, nothing yeah. yet. That's awesome. We're supposed to in Indiana we're supposed to get a polar vortex. Oh. So like sub zero temperatures this week. So Whoa. that'll be fun. <laughs> Does that mean snow too or is Oh it yeah, just... we have, we probably have let's see. Uh we probably have like a good six, seven inches right now. Oh so nice. Okay, so yeah. truth be told, I'm a Californian. We don't get snow where I live, but we are going right. to the snow the following weekend for a week, for like several days. And working yes. from a little bit of a snow area. It's still near where we live, but it's up because wow. we want, we That's, need some snow. Yes. <sighs> that yeah. change, the change in season is, has been, it's so great. I, yeah. I don't know if I can live somewhere where there isn't seasons yeah. personally. <laughs> yeah. But. Well, it's freezing. It's freezing. Yeah. Well, yes. I'm so true. ready for this change of season, even though it doesn't include <laughs> snow. I'm like, I need spring and summer. My goodness. But yeah. Awesome. So we're talking about uh, three, fours, and fives, and you have unique and funky little names. Yes. Uh, can you explain how you came up with those? Okay. So three nature is not my word. It is a word that was just sort of, um, I don't know where it came out of, but it really hit home when we had a three nature in our family, my darling granddaughter, Charlie. You know, you realize, wow, they just have a lot going on emotionally inside them. And so I've met lots of parents in, you know, in my career in life who mm-hmm. are so surprised at the intensity of a three-year-old. And, you know, we kind of expect that from toddlers, two-year-olds, you know, the quote-unquote terrible twos. I like to right. call them terrific twos. But, terrific, yes. But what people are not prepared for is the three-nager and the three-nager's attitude and I won't call it an inability, but it is sort of an inability or a learning curve of managing their emotions in this next phase of life. So that's the three-nager. Three-nager. And then there's the four-nado, which is, your, then you think, oh yeah, it'll happen when they're four. And almost sometimes what happens is it gets even more intense and Mm. parents are not expecting it and don't really know what to do with this intensity. And then they become fivers. And fivers are 
a little bit more mellow. We start to see the shift again. Mm. And so I kind of wanted to talk to them and talk about these ages in a cluster because they they are all related to each other. And if you can recognize the signs, then you don't feel so off track or, you know, mm. lost mm-hmm. in the woods. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Is there a reason why so three nagers supposed to sound like teenager? Is there is there something correlating there? Yes, because if anybody's raised a teenager and you know how sassy and opinionated <laughs> and, <laughs> it, you know, I want to say, you know, I don't want to offend teenagers, but, you know, their maturity is still coming online. And so, mm-hmm. and development does repeat itself. So what we do know about this toddler, three, four, fives period of that period of life in early childhood actually repeats itself in preteen, early teen ages. And so we can use this period of time not only to set the stage for the second go around when kids are teenagers, early teens, Hmm. but we can Mm -hmm. also use it to help that go better because you know when you do something the second time it's a little bit easier Mm -hmm. so now if we're expecting okay what i do now is going to have payoff in 10 years and i'm going to try to do it the same way now we've really we've got a plan we're not so thrown off guard it doesn't feel like all of these ages are just random they really do relate Mm -hmm. to each other and so that's what I'm trying to do is to get people to see that your three-nager, four-nado, and fiver is going to be your 13, 14, and 15-year-old, or really 12 to 15-year-old. Mm. And they're just going to wow. be bigger, and they're not going to want to sit on your lap and let you hold them and say, it's okay, we're going to have these big feelings <laughs> together. <laughs> they're going to be like, I'm out of here. Right. <laughs> so... Can you give me an example of, of how, whether it's a, a story from your own life or just a, a random example of, of how those like two situations that could be similar of how they're affecting each other? Three nagers, the little threes, you know, if they want something, they really are very egocentric about wanting it and believing neurologically in their brain. Mm-hmm. They don't have their full frontal cortex online, so they don't have their rational thinking. So if I want it and then you say no, and I just can't wrap my head around that, I might have to lose it and mm. you know have a very strong, intense response to that. So... Anyone who's met a three-year-old who doesn't get what they want when they really, really want it, like at the at the cat at the checkout counter in you know the store, yeah, they just want it and believe it mm-hmm. should be fine. And then if you've ever met a thirteen-year-old who really, really wants something like an iPod or designer sneakers, whatever, something, right. and believe deep down, you know that it is not. <laughs> It is a necessity. Yes, non-negotiable. <laughs> it is non-negotiable. They too can have that, you know, storm off, slam the door, turn the music on in their room mm. and be just sort of not capable of having a rational conversation about it because they can't get past that three or really early tween teens, which we're also going to talk about. They can't get past the part that I just want it. The motivation for, for both of those ages are different. So how, what, what's, what's, what's potentially going on in the 13-year-old's brain that isn't allowing them to get to that same spot, even though they have more of their brain online than a three-year-old? They have more of their brain online, but it isn't all wired up yet into okay. making those connections that experience helps us to make and modeling Mm. and having interactions with our more mature brain. Let's take a three-year-old brain and we say, oh, wow, I really know how badly you want that. I know Mm -hmm. it's so hard to not get what you want. I know you want it, but we can't have that right now or ever, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. 
But at 13, I really know you want that. They kind of, they've had a lot more experiences, about 10 years. And if we've been having conversations that are consistent and realistic and not highly overly emotional and, you know, understand that we're the adult, we know the big picture. They don't Mm -hmm. necessarily know the big picture and we're walking them down a path. I always like to use the word guide because Mm -hmm. yes, we're parents, but what are parents? They are the guides. We're walking them from one stepping stone to the next. So now we have guided them down several more stepping stones and at 13, they may really want something. Well, let's just use a cell phone because that seems so appropriate for, <laughs> or something about a cell phone. They just can't connect how that want impacts you in any way. They, you know, they just aren't there. They just see it from a very egocentric perspective, even though. They're trying and their brain is starting to get there where they can start to see another person's perspective. It's almost like a glimpse. It's mm. not, it, it comes online and then it disappears back into. It's like, surprise, I'm really mature and amazing. And then you like go, wait a yeah. second, you just lost your mind. Like, who are you? So we see a lot of that in early teens because they're teeter-tottering between this very childhood, their brain is mm-hmm. literally rewiring for adulthood, and we're at the beginning stages now of the adult brain. Yeah. So that's that that's the part is, first go around, we're wiring for life. We're wiring mm-hmm. for the cars to come online and experiences. Second rewiring comes in early adolescence, and now we're wiring for our adult brain and our really our deeper frontal cortex to come into play and our rational thinking. So we have two jobs. So would you say like at three, you're building the highway, and then at 13, it's about getting the cars on the highway? Actually, well, that that was, we've pretty much built the highway by the time we're three. 80% 80% of our brain okay. is the highway is constructed. We've already, now we're putting the cars on it from three to 13 and the rest of our lives. Okay. So we hope that we've built a highway that makes sense, you know, Right. that is, right. A, is a reasonable roadway. I guess what I would say at 13 is all of a sudden we're doing some reconstruction of the highway. Okay. And then we're going to bring on this new section of the highway called our frontal cortex or our reasoning mm-hmm. brain. But it's not really built completely yet and it's in the beginning phases, so we can't yeah. expect it to get us where we want to go immediately cuz it's going to take several years for it to really come online and fully solidify. Mm-hmm. For now all of our adolescent and adult experiences to drive right. on those roadways that's now expanded. Yeah, there's bound to be some traffic, some traffic jams. Traffic jams, yep, yeah, some pileups, yeah. yep. So <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. So what would you give like tips for people with three-year-olds? How do we parent them well? So let's think about three. So they've just moved away from toddlerhood. They're doing things that are different than our toddlers did. Now they they actually are starting to look a little bit more, you know, they're losing that pudgy face and mm-hmm. they've got skinnier legs and they look a little more <laughs> like a kid <laughs> instead of a baby. Yeah. But really at the beginning of three, they still only have, you know, some children have more language. It's, that's really a personal thing in a lot of ways, an experience. But they don't have a lot of words to communicate with at a front end of three, like a young three, maybe 500 words that they can expressively say, like, I need this, I want this, Mm -hmm. you know, or I need help with this. So how three-year-olds sort of come online and shift from being toddlers are that they're physically developing differently. You know, now... They're not wobbly like a toddler anymore or a baby. Mm-hmm. They move like they can run, literally. Right. You know, they're cruisers. They got a low center of gravity. 
and they can totally move. They can climb. Mm -hmm. They can walk up and down stairs one foot at a time, which, you know, if you think of a toddler or baby, they can't, they have to do one, 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 one. (laughs) Right. That's true. You know, it's so interesting. But now at three, they can do things. They do a lot more copying of adults. So Mm -hmm. you start to see the mannerisms of the parents and other adults Mm -hmm. in their environment. So you got to be more careful because they're toddlers are copiers too, but three-year-olds are good at it. Like Mm. like they can, they can really like, they can really pretend to be you. So you better be careful. If you've ever worked with a three-year-old and I used to very early in my career, I worked with three, fours and fives as a preschool teacher in an integrated classroom. I'll tell you, three-year-olds hold nothing back. They will tell every single thing that happens (laughs) that crosses their mind. So Mm. if you have a blemish on your face, they're like, what's that on your face? Or if, if, you know, my mommy and daddy were fighting so much that, you know, my mom spit on my dad. They just, they don't think any, they have no ability to withhold, you know, So privacy is not a thing. If you've been around a three or a four-year-old, you know, they love to run through the house naked. They don't care. They have no mom. It's just a thing. And and it's it's fine if that's a a personal thing for a parent and they're not expecting that. Mm -hmm. It really is different than the grown-ups in the house running through the house naked, you know. So especially if there's company over you know yeah <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> i mean people people can run around their house naked if they live yeah. alone or with their partner but you know if you you know there there are certain <laughs> appropriate ways <laughs> oh i'm getting mental images i don't want yes, to be seeing i right know now. <laughs> i'm so sorry i know i wasn't expecting us to go down that path but i'm thinking about how many families have some cutesy pie name for their naked runner in their house you know Mm. we had nakey boy that was my my biggest boy would just (laughs) you know strip down run through the house before he took a bath like that was just who he was at four but three-year-olds they're shifting out of this this toddler phase and they're moving into this more social phase remember we talked about toddlers being very contrary you know no Mm. no me mine they're kind of angry about everything mm. in the world and now three-year-olds <laughs> <I relate. laughs> yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for sure three-year-olds aren't as you know they're much more animated happy they have more language they can communicate more but they also have a high they have a high level of intensity still so they can articulate their fury <laughs> in mm. ways that the toddler can't the toddler mm-hmm. cries and kicks and you know throws a tantrum the three-year-old cries kicks and tells you exactly how they feel about it (laughs) and (laughs) they're very sensitive to routines which are very helpful for parents Mm. so when we are changing things up all the time then that's difficult usually for a three-year-old because it's confusing remember we want the roadway Mm. to be specific and sure, things change, but that can really throw off a three-year-old. So yeah. using our words to explain what's happening to them. I think this is probably the biggest thing that parents and teachers and adults don't do with children. We think about what we're doing, but we don't communicate it. Mm-hmm. And I always say, whatever is going through your mind about what you're going to do with a child, you need to be saying that out loud in an appropriate way to the child so they know what you're thinking because Mm. that's so helpful even as adults we don't do it with adults always either but with children especially oh yeah we were gonna drive through whatever we were gonna go Mm -hmm. here but i'm running out of time and so we're not gonna do that now we're gonna do something else and we're gonna come back to that tomorrow or mm. whatever. So just basically trying to narrate your life. You're pretty much your child. narrating your life exactly yeah. as Oof. much as you can, and it's not it's not easy, 
but at the same time, you're you're narrating it in your head anyway. So you might as well mm-hmm. sort mm-hmm. of filter it out because it will make it easier for not only the child, but also for you. Mm-hmm. And it's and remember, all those experiences are the cars on the highway. So when we attach language to the cars, it makes sense in our brain. So we don't have to have a big reaction to why somebody didn't come home when we were expecting it. Right. Parent doesn't has to work late. Other parent doesn't necessarily think or grandparent, whoever is taking care of child doesn't think to say, oh, this thing happened. It's really important. And it doesn't mean mm. they don't care about you, but uh. this is going to happen. Their routine is going to be shuffled. And there's a good reason. And I know your feelings are hurt about that or you were so excited to show them your new picture. But it's yeah. okay because we're still going to do that, but we're just going to do it in the morning. Mm. Now we've just shifted the whole thing and they get to have their, okay, like process it. Yeah. It's yeah. a processing out loud. And I'm just, <laughs> I'm just like hearing all these different things that how much applies to adulthood as well. Absolutely. It's so helpful when someone communicates, hey, I'm not going to be able to do this thing. Mm-hmm. And I know that bums you out. Yep. And like, you st- I still care about you, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, wow, this, this is yeah. so helpful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, yeah. Well, and here's the, here's the like, whoa, whoa of the universe is our earliest relationships set the stage <laughs> for our adult relationships. So how you communicate and how we communicate with our children in their early years helps them then in their adult relationships later on because they Mm. tend to imitate, copy, learn how to communicate similarly in their adult love relationships and attachments. Mm -hmm. So there's a a much bigger (laughs) reason for doing this at the front end Besides just it makes my life a little bit more convenient today, it Mm -hmm. actually helps them when they're they're an adult. So, and those are things that get, you know, tweaked and changed. It's not like Mm -hmm. set in stone. But at the same time, when we talk to children like that, then we hear them repeat the things Mm -hmm. we say. Oh, you know, I think I told the story about the biting and Joe said... Mm-hmm. Eli, we don't solve our problems with violence. <laughs> okay, so, you know, <laughs> right, exactly, we yeah, don't. Yeah. So moving into four-year-olds, what is, what is the uh, difference between a three-year-old and a four-year-old? The difference between threes and fours, we think of it like, oh, fours are going to be so much easier and in some ways parents are often shocked because fours can actually be even more difficult than threes or they can Mm. be easier so it's a little bit confusing Mm. but okay let's think about fours they're not that much different than threes except that now they have a lot more language and words so a lot of words they're even more skilled and mobile than they were at three. Mm -hmm. Like they're good at three, but now like they're way better than they were at two, but now they're really good at four. And they start, they're starting to have some ideas, but they still really have a lot of the same thinking patterns as a three. They're just a Mm -hmm. little bit more experienced at it. So I, I like to say three nagers and four nados because three nagers are like, sassy and difficult like a teenager but man a fornado can come at you from nowhere and you're like who (laughs) in the world are you like the exorcist Uh, showed up and you're like what but they still need the same things you know they still need Mm. that i need you to tell me the reason explain it we need consistent routines because consistency and predictability lead to stability Mm -hmm. and that's what we want And then, you know, when we shift over, they do have a big desire to be part of the adult world. Like threes and fours and especially fours and then even fives, like they really want to be friends with every adult. (laughs) 
Like they want their best friends to to be grownups and they want to show you everything. And they are literally enamored by this thing called adulthood, you know? Mm. So if you think about it, when they come to show you their picture, when they show you what they built with Legos or what they, the fort they made outside or the flower they picked or whatever it is, we give them such a gift by letting Mm. them show us things and being excited at their excitement that this is Mm. new. Because for them, we've seen a flower a million times by the time we're whatever. For them, it's like, look what I found. This is so cool. And (laughs) when we respond to that with excitement and joy, Mm -hmm. we give them a sense of their importance. And that is the other, that's resilience. We're building Mm. their strength and resilience to be able to have that inner voice when nobody's there to admire whatever it is that they've created. They can do it within. So all babies like come into the world with some empathy. We don't necessarily call it that or recognize it or even think Mm. about it. But really, threes, fours, and fives do have empathy for others. They can, in glimpses, say, oh, I'm so sorry that happened. I'm so sorry you fell down. Are you okay? You Mm. know, they do have empathy, and we need to jump on that. Mm -hmm. Because, like, oh, that was so nice of you to help your friend, you know, get up when she fell or whatever. So there's all these little tiny nuances that we do with threes, fours, and fives that counter their whirlwind reaction to little tiny things that we think. I can't believe that losing one marble out of a pack of 80 could be the end of the world. <laughs> mm. You know? Yeah. Like, it's it's just this, you're living in drama. And it doesn't <laughs> last forever. That's the beauty of it. Another thing that's important is that they... They're starting to get a lot more dexterity in their hands, so they're capable of doing a lot of things themselves, which is great. I'm still an advocate, and, and this is this is personal preference. I think littles are only going to be little for a short amount of time, really, in the grand scheme of life. So I'm a carrier, holder, lover, hugger. Let mm-hmm. me help you with that if you want help. I'm not a, you need to do that all by yourself and be independent. Either one is fine. It doesn't matter. That's just because I'm a sappy, gushy hugger. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) you know, I carried my kiddos till they were, you know, four or five years old if they needed it. And I still carry Charlie and she's six if she wants me to. You know, I know she can walk. It's not going to interfere with her walking. So I don't need her to practice walking. So if I'm on board and she's on board, it's fine. That's personal preference. You know, giving them opportunities then to expand that development, dexterity, Mm -hmm. to expand their physical ability, climbing things, doing things, all good for, you know, building their confidence. However, setting the limitations in really clear ways and expecting them to overstep, because remember, more like from almost a moral development standpoint or a cognitive development standpoint, This age group truly believes, if I want it, it is right. So all the way from like until early elementary, their philosophy of of right and wrong literally is I should get my way. Mm. Okay, so like that is that is really when you shift gears and think, oh, my gosh, I'm talking to a person who sounds reasonable, Mm -hmm. but in their brain really believe like all I'm really just avoiding punishment and wanting rewards. Like that's really my life. Okay. You've just met a three, four and a five year old. (laughs) Like these are your people. (laughs) So you can love them to pieces, but know what you're operating with. You're Mm -hmm. operating with people who have the brain capacity of, I want it. I should have it. Mm-hmm. And love them for that. It's perfectly appropriate for them to be there. If they weren't there, we would be off track. Yeah. So that's okay. the other thing is 
really loving them for who they are and who they're supposed to be at that age. And it's, Mm -hmm. this is who I'm supposed to be. A very egocentric, me-oriented, punishment-reward-driven human. And I won't be like that forever unless Mm -hmm. we don't allow you to develop out of that stage. And Mm. the way we help kids develop out of that stage and keep moving forward is by using our words and explaining things and Mm. loving them and setting up the world in a predictable way. We don't have to make everything easy. We just have Mm -hmm. to make everything, you know, possible. And if it's impossible, explain it. Why? Why is it not possible? That's the three, four. I think it makes a lot of sense just in, I mean, in my own interactions with my nieces and nephews is <laughs> I forget that they're kids in that like explaining something, over explaining something, saying, hey, I'm proud of you is not patronizing. Where if I said it to yeah. you, there's like some level of like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right. So it's, yeah, remembering that, at least for me, it is difficult to kind of like get over that sort of um, mindset of, yeah. no, this is this is what they need even though it sounds silly and and dumb right now. (laughs) It does. And you know what? This is interesting too. This is a gender difference that for Mm. men and women, we use more words. Women use like, you know, twice as many words to get the same point across, which is why we often, you know, there are biases around that. However, it's also really necessary. So children actually listen to what men say longer and more intently because they say hmm. fewer words. And so children are like, and they crave that. They like to, like, they want to hear what men have to say too. So on a really basic, just gender difference level, and children look to women for things they need care and things they need help with, but they look to men for play and engagement hmm. and roughhousing and you know, and you will often see a man pick up a little kid and jiggle him around and play boxing and do things like that. <laughs> and you see women like, oh, yeah. you're gonna really you're gonna need a jacket. Let me make sure you have a snack. And it all mm-hmm. sounds very gender stereotypical. Both genders can mm-hmm. do both things, but mm-hmm. recognizing that how important it is for children to have both of those experiences regardless of gender in their life helps them to be balanced they can be playful Mm -hmm. and cared for at the same time is it important to have two different people with those strategies i guess we'll call it or can both of those things be found in one parent i think they can totally be found in one parent i think that it's important for children to have parental models in their lives, whether they're really the biological parent or not, just adult models who do both of those things differently than their, Mm -hmm. maybe their main primary caregiver, just because we want them to have the experience of recognizing what that feels like with different people. Mm-hmm. And so being mm-hmm. playful with one person only, then if you're playful with another person, you're like, wait a second, that's not what playful is. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. used to that. That's mm-hmm. not how Seth plays. You know, mm-hmm. you play wrong. <laughs> They're going to say, you play wrong, <laughs> Fornado. Yeah, yeah. So if Seth <laughs> plays with you this way, but then a different uncle and a family friend and mom sometimes or whoever, lots of people play with you. Play becomes broader. And care. Interesting. Care also yeah. becomes broader. You need a snack. I feel like you're you might be getting sleepy. Let's, you know, let's just take a little rest right now. And that can come from any mm. gender and any loving, safe, caring adult. But the primary yeah. adults are primary. And their gender mm-hmm. doesn't matter. It's their consistency and predictability that matters because they're like, they're the stage setters. And then we add adults in below them to reinforce those things. So it becomes like, oh, now I understand. We're making 
the roadway and the cars driving. We're setting the speed limit. We're setting the rules of the road. And it makes sense. We have research on gender, but I think that the gender piece of that is really, it's not really about gender. It's just how it, those are just, just the roles that people have played in the past. Could you maybe categorize it more in like masculine energy and feminine energy? that can be contained in one person. Absolutely. Yeah. And so which one do you kind of lean towards on the spectrum? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. What is more automatic? Yes. What is more automatic? And, and then, you know, we can also, as we're become aware of this, then we can say, oh yeah, you know, I really want to play the playful role with my children a little bit more. Like I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm leaning way more heavily on my feminine energy than my masculine energy or vice versa. So sometimes I want to balance that out within myself, whether it's yeah. for myself or for my interactions with my mm-hmm. children. So even, and then guess what? We can say everybody has some masculine and feminine energy in their bodies. You do too. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, you can know that. Yeah. And what does yours look like? Yeah, yeah, what does yours look like? And so then it gives them permission. It gives boys permission to cry, which is like a mm. girl thing. It gives girls permission to be aggressive and fight and be, you know, strong, which is mm-hmm. quote a boy thing. And we're like, right. no, you can both you can have both. It's okay. Yeah. That makes you a that makes you a really nicely well rounded person. We all mm-hmm. cry and we all fight like hell sometimes. So, you know, exactly. It's okay. All right. So, moving on to fives. Fives. Okay. So, fivers. I like to call them fivers. Now, they're a whole, now they're moving into kindergarten ish. In theory, they're much more comfortable with being, you know, separating from their parents because they really have a good sense that if they have a family where parents always come back, they mm-hmm. have an object permanence belief and they are much more social. They care what you think a little bit more. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Okay. They're not quite as cut and dry like, what, you don't think what I think and then I'm over you. They care what their friends think and they care what other people think. And they're starting to move into the zone of the world is a social place and I can have some Mm. power in that. And so our next topic is going to be around bullying. And this is where we really start to see pretty sophisticated and yet immature bullying start is around Mm. five, six years old. And that's because of the social capability, awareness, and communication that now fives are moving into. They have a lot of words. They have a lot of things they are able to talk about and able to receive as information, Mm -hmm. much more than a three-year-old did. So now they can start, They but remember, they still live in the world of punishment and reward. Wow. They have not grown out of that yet. So even though they might be showing slight microscopic glimpses of the next phase, which is I really should do as I'm told because that's what my parents want and my teacher wants and they want to do what they're supposed to do, they still can slip if they've been bullied as a child or abused or not treated well or all of those things. Remember, their their maturity level is going to be lower, so that's how we find bullying in fives. They're wanting to shift, though, and they're starting to shift into this, you know, good people do what they're told by their parents or do what they're told by adults. So then we also say, hmm, if my five- and six-year-old thinks being a good person is doing what they're told by adults... Maybe I should be really careful what adults are around my child, right? Yeah. Because if a stranger yeah. adult comes around your child and says, you know, I'm an adult, you need to do what I say, and it's mm. something inappropriate, they don't have the capacity to understand mm. that. So it's time where you say out loud, 
it's really important to, you know, do what adults tell you to do, but not all adults. If you mm. feel like it's something you don't want to do and adults tells you to do it, then you need to come to me and tell me and ask mm. me what I think. Or you don't need to do that. You are allowed to say no and you're allowed to, you know, whatever. So yeah. we think stranger danger, you know, every bad mm -hmm. person in the world is, you know, this scary looking person in an alley. And pretty much most people are not that. They live in the house or they live on the in the neighborhood and they're, you know, most abusive interactions with young children happen within families. Mm. So, but that's partly because we haven't tackled having these difficult conversations and protecting children and just believing that everybody is, you know, mm. fine and safe. Uh, yeah. Maybe this is a completely separate episode to have sometime, but like having those types of conversations, really uncomfortable, really, how do you, how do you explain to a child in that way that gives them that helps them differentiate between going and grabbing your coat when you don't want to yeah, and participating in something that you actually don't want to do. Yeah. It probably, we could definitely do an episode on that. There's so many phases of that conversation, but I will say mm -hmm. that five is a really good time to start. Four and five are really good times to start having those conversations. Mm-hmm. Because one, it starts them off with the concept of trust your body. Trust mm. your own body. If your body and your brain are kind of in like saying, I don't really like this, you know, mm -hmm. if it's, you know, playing a certain game, like, I don't know, I don't like running the mile. You know, my body <laughs> thinks that that's <laughs> not my favorite thing to do. But if it's somebody trying to convince you to do something that you don't want to do, and mm. children are all of a sudden very aware for the first time that girl parts and boy parts are different and that there's all mm -hmm. this, you know, different, different things between girls and boys and gender differences... I have a personal bias in this department and it really is that we put way too much on little kids to manage their safety in this area. Because mm. even if we tell them it's not okay for somebody, you, anybody, even someone you love, if somebody that they love really comes to them with a request that's super inappropriate or just does something to them that's super inappropriate with a threat behind it, there's no way a child has the capacity to manage that. And it yeah. just sets the stage for it's your responsibility to protect yourself. And that's not the case with mm. littles. Yeah. So we just have to be so diligent because we know this is such a, number one, it's highly prevalent. You know, it's like 30% yeah. of the population has been sexually molested or assaulted that's an insane number. Insane. It is an insane number. So we have to get past that it wouldn't be my uncle or my grandfather mm -hmm. or my father or my neighbor or my friend. We have to get past that and say, okay, yeah, it really probably could be. Mm. We hope it's not, but it really probably could be. That's what I say to parents is you need to name the people. As difficult and as terrible as that sounds, mm. like I say to, you know, my Charlie, she's six. Eli, my oldest, my youngest son, Uncle Lili, he loves you so much. And he would, I don't think he would ever do anything like this. But if even somebody mm. like Lili touched you in a way that made you feel uncomfortable, you have to tell your mama. Or if, someone else, whatever. Like we have mm. to name the names. And then even Eli can say to her, like, I would never, I would never do this. 
And Mm. if somebody else, you know, who you love and care about are worried, like, so she knows that all the people around her have said it, not just Mm. her mom, but even Lila is on board and even Bibi, me, her grandma's on board and Lisa's on board. Like, we're all on board. So if some person that we all love does do something, then she knows that we've all said, oh, yeah, that's not okay. And it could mm-hmm. happen. So would you say five is is the time to begin to help them understand, help them draw their own boundaries and to give them a sense of empowerment? What I'm sensing between like from three to five is this, this increasing awareness that I'm affected by the world and I can affect the world. Yeah. And And when there is not some level of structure and like way to delineate what to do when then it can that's when things can just go haywire and cause yeah. some significant damage yeah exactly and setting those being allowed to be have some self-efficacy at five mm-hmm. because the other thing that fives have that are that's different for fives than threes is the level of supervision mm. we let five-year-olds go off and play with people not i mean like play in their you know whatever they're not under our nose like a three-year-old is mm-hmm. constantly. Yes, recognize those those boundaries and their you know their ownership of their own body and deciding who they want to hug, who they want to kiss, mm-hmm. who they want to you know not even be around. Mm. That th- these are all things that are super appropriate now. The part that can be hard is that parents struggle with this. Like, they're like, what do you mean you don't want to be around grandpa Mm. or grandma or somebody? Like, Mm -hmm. now it becomes a bigger family situation. But this is how we change. This 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 is what we know and how we need to make alterations in the way we process ourselves through parenting. And we've learned things we know now. And the other thing that people will say, you know, is, oh, you're spoiling them. You're letting them run the show. Mm. You're letting them be in charge. Well, yeah, kind of, because I invited them into the world to be in charge of their own life. And Mm. my job is to guide them to be good at being in charge of their life. That doesn't start when you turn 18. That starts the day you're born. So we have to put up with them being terrible at being in charge of their life (laughs) at the beginning. And then slowly but surely, we're helping them get better and better at being in charge of their lives. And they still may not do it the way we want to, but it's their life. And that's where people struggle with you know i own you as a parent no you really don't and that's a shift for people sometimes most a lot of the time and it's a real shift for older generations who are used to like don't pick up the baby because you'll spoil them the biggest lie Mm -hmm. of the universe absolutely Mm -hmm. pick up the baby if they're crying pick up the baby just because you love the baby you're (laughs) not going to spoil the baby that's not if that's not a thing so not a thing not, Not a thing. thing. Said by Dr. Um, B, will fight to the death <laughs> over that comment with anybody. Yes. No. Yeah. Pick the damn baby up. <laughs> <laughs> do it now. So, do it if you now. you see a baby, just pick it up. Just pick it up and kiss and love <laughs> yep. on that baby. So. Yeah. Um, I, I can I can kind of hear the, the, the voices of many parents just being like, oh my goodness, how do I navigate these three, fours, and fives. I'm sure we'll be doing more episodes on, on parenting and, and whatnot that will help answer some of these questions, but where would you point them? Resources for how to parent such a difficult age of learning how to be their own person while not allowing them to Run rule, the show. Run the show, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's, the, that's a phrase that parents could tape to the wall, you know? Be the guide, mm. but don't let them run the show. I like to think of it like a circle. And mm. you're the, you have the child within the circle. They have all the freedom they need within the circle that's age appropriate mm. for them. But as soon as they hit the boundary line, that's where you come in and you say, yeah, that you're not ready for that. That's my job. Yeah. 
And so the circle slowly gets bigger and bigger and we have lots of concentric circles and let that happen. Mm -hmm. But for parents, this is what I want to say. You're a good enough parent. If you're worrying about Mm. this, you are an awesome parent already. And your children are meant to drive you a little bit crazy. And that's okay. That does not make you a bad parent. (laughs) So you're, you're doing fine. Just learning this sort of way of thinking is transformative to parenting. Mm -hmm. And so you can't really mess it up just by the sheer fact that you care enough to try to understand how to do it. Nobody's Mm. gonna do it the same. Nobody's gonna do it perfectly. We're all gonna lose our mind a little bit here and there. It's fine, we don't have to be perfect. I'm just giving you the intricate details I didn't raise my children like that. I didn't even know that until my kids were older. So I'm backtracking and saying, oh, yeah. Okay, so sorry I did that. (laughs) And they're fine people. (laughs) So, you know, we don't have to be perfect. But now we know things and Mm -hmm. we can do better and it'll make us feel better because we know these things. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Delusional Optimism brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership. We hope you're encouraged by Dr. B's message and find her tips helpful for managing life stressors and building a more resilient self. For more episodes in this special series, please visit St. Agnes Medical Center's website at www.samc.com. This episode is produced and published by the editing team at TruthWork Media. TruthWork Media is a full-fledged podcasting and social media agency located in South Bend, Indiana with clients all around the world. For more information, visit them at truthworkmedia.com. These materials and all discussions of these materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute medical or mental health advice. The presenter is not a licensed mental health or medical service provider. If you need medical or mental health care or advice, you should contact your doctor or therapist, or you can contact your insurance company for a referral. This show and all of its contents are copyright 2020 Dr. B. Leave a Life Print. Reproduction or use requires written consent of Dr. Kristen Beasley.